The Never Before Project presents the Lethal Faith Podcast with your host, Dr. Michael B. Nye and Blake Harris. This podcast is for students, parents, and church leaders who are interested in keeping their faith strong. Visit us online at neverbefore.tv or on Facebook at The Never Before Project. Let's get into the podcast. Hey, Lethal Faith podcast. Uh, this is your host, Blake Harris, and I am here with your guest co-host today. DJ is back in the house. I know. This is week number four with your block, eh? What's going on, kiddo? I'm telling you, man, I really think we should kick Dr. No, Michael out. No, no, we can't do that. <laughs> we can't do that. Let me tell you why. Doctor stands for mad scientist, okay? <laughs> it's untelling what that madman would do if if we had to kick it. No, we ain't doing that. No, no. We we ain't working in the pathetic around here. That's not what we do. So, uh, Dr. Knight, I think Dr. Knight's planning on being back next week. I am mm-hmm. not entirely for sure. Um, but until then, you stuck with me. All right. Get over it. I love it, DJ. <laughs> I love it, buddy. And so as we were talking about last week, we were talking about the exodus, uh, of the Israelites from Egypt That's right. and we kind of get, get, bleh, I can't English today either. All right. <laughs> and so we got to the point to where it, we were kind of talking about like, how long were they in, in the wilderness, you know, and, and, and what happened? Mm-hmm. And then, so we get up to this point to where they're, they're going to begin to reach a dead end, but, but kind of fill us in a little bit. Okay, sure. So, um, at this point, you know, we kind of mentioned that they were in the wilderness for X amount of time and yada, yada, yada. Um, and so the whole span of, um, the time that they leave Egypt to the time that they get to the wilderness of Zen, uh, was about 30 days. So there are four weeks from the time that they leave Egypt to the time that they cross, get done crossing the Red Sea and then go up a little bit. So, and I'll just kind of tell you the, the wilderness of Zen is, um, is this vast area between the Gulf of Aqaba and the Dead Sea. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's right on the edge of where Edom used to be. Right. Um, and I believe that's Saudi Arabia now. I'm pretty sure. Uh, I um, think that's right. Kind okay. of looking at a map. Yeah. Um, and so, um, it took so this is just kind of like what the patterns of evidence tim mahoney Mm -hmm. you know kind of kind of believes two weeks of travel from the time they left egypt to the time they got to the gulf or to the time they got to the sea yeah i mean that would be about right because you know they they said that um there was three camps i think that they that the bible talks about that um they got through Mm -hmm. in order to get to the to the red sea crossing yeah. Um, and the, just like the time frame, it, it was about two weeks, those those mm-hmm. three campsites. Right. And, and to travel with that many people, I, I think there there's some things out there that says you, they would travel about 20 miles a day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so it that would probably be about right, mm-hmm. you know, about two weeks of travel. And so uh, I just know, like, like for me, I would be exhausted, you know, two weeks of travel or kind of running literally from... Uh, an army at, yeah, at this point, a major army, and uh, you know I, I can't imagine how exhausted exhausted I, I would be. You know I, I know like for me today, so like I, I worked second shift and I had to work over till four o'clock. Oh wow! You know and and then get up and uh, like I text you, I was like, yo, I just woke up and it's ten o'clock. You know, and I told you I was like, I'm gonna be a little late. You know, and so I'm kind of tired, and, and so um, 
I can't imagine how tired the Israelites would have been just traveling all that time. And then like, can you imagine if it, if you was a mother and, and you have a newborn baby yeah. and, and you're traveling like, Hey, you, you know, as if you, if you have kids, uh, you know, if you got a newborn baby, you ain't sleeping period. You know, I can remember when my, my son was born, he, after about three months, for whatever reason, he just would, would wake up all the time. And I just remember waking up and my wife being like, you go get him. And I'm like, you go get him. You know, <laughs> <Your> turn, <yeah. laughs> that's right. Yeah. And just being exhausted. I remember going into work, just exhausted, tired, mm-hmm. you know, but also that I knew that there was a promise at the end that, you know, children are an inheritance from the Lord, you know, and, you know, sometimes it's like you hold on to those scriptures knowing that. And I'm sure that, that the Israelites were holding on to something like that too, that they were holding on to the promised land. Right. If we can just endure long enough to get to the promised land, we'll be okay. We're going to be great. Yeah. We're, we're going to be fine, you know? Right. And so, yeah, no. And that, and that's a good point that you made, Blake, um, you know, and kind of, um, reading out of the scripture, you know, in Exodus 12 and 51, it says that on the very day, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their hosts. Um, and, you know, kind of the, the key phrases on that very day, you know, we talked last podcast that it was a very organized and hasty decision to leave Egypt. Yeah. So, you know, who knows if it was the middle of the night, if it was in the middle of the day, but what the point is, you know, if it was the middle of the day or if it was in the middle of the night, you're extremely exhausted. You've had your full day of, of being a slave, building a pyramid. It wasn't the aliens who built the pyramid. It was the, you know what, I, you know, but you know, on the very day they were out of Egypt on the first day. Um, and kind of putting that in context, they lived in Avaris. Um, and that's about 25 miles from the edge of Egypt. So they were out of Egypt in one day. And, and so like, you know, we, you had mentioned last, um, last week's podcast, uh, the travel rates in the ancient world was an average of 20 miles a day with normal travel conditions. Mm-hmm. But you also have to take consideration of the supernatural care yes. that God gave the Israelites fleeing Egypt. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, they traveled by day and by night. So, I mean, I could totally see 25 miles. You know, we drive that in like, what? Yeah. 20 yeah. minutes <laughs> but but driving and us walking today is way different you know like, yeah like I, I work with a guy who is a, an extreme long distance runner right mm-hmm. and this guy will run 400 miles no thanks right, right? Mm-hmm. obviously it takes him several days right. to do it uh but he like he's actually prepping for one right now mm-hmm. and uh he'll run from like I think it's from like Tennessee all the way down through like Alabama or something like that. I mean, it is insane. Now yeah. this, you know, so the the shape that you have to be in just to travel twenty miles by foot. Obviously, their lifestyle was much different than what ours is today, especially mm-hmm. here in America. Um, but it is because uh, I worked all day. That's right. Um, most of us, uh, you know, you're like me. Even though I work in a factory, I work in uh, air conditioning, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, I might push a button and sit down for an hour. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, no, that's true. That's very true. You know? Yeah. Or, or you know, like you, you work inside of an office setting, so it's not like most of us uh have these incredibly physical jobs you know uh, a lot of us are working indoors we're not outside and so for me to endure 20 miles walking today i think i would die 
Oh yeah, you for know? sure. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. And I, I'm not like by means like the skinniest, miniest person out there. Like I've got an Apple watch and I think I may even do two miles a day at most just yeah. walking around the office, yeah. you know? Yeah. But I mean, it just, you know, just puts in perspective. Um, Absolutely. You know, uh, one of the things I find fascinating was, was, you know, you kind of have, you know, which wilderness was it? And uh, Philo in uh, 50 AD on the life of Moses says this, he says, having accomplished together a long and desolate journey through the wilderness, destitute of any beaten road, at last arrived at the sea, which is called the Red Sea. Right. So once again, e- even this is reiterating that it's the Red Sea, uh, right. which we discussed uh, last week mm-hmm. uh, in the podcast. And so right. this kind of leads us up to the detour, uh, to a dead end. Um, and so, you know, w- what happens here? Like, like t- tell me what's going on here. Okay. So, you know, they're at the stead end now. Um, in Exodus 14, 1 and 2, it talks about the Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of P. Hiroth, I listen, I suck at this. Uh, between Migdol and the sea, in front of the Bel Zephon, you shall encamp facing it by the sea. And so let's take this name and place meaning um, of some major words here. So you've got uh, Pi or P. Hiroth. It means the mouth of the canal or the gorge. Migdol, uh, tower or fortress. Um, the words and the sea in Exodus 14 and 2, it's the word Yam Suf, which means the sea, and then Baal Zephon, uh, which means the Lord of the North, um, but that is the place of worship for the god Baal. And so, um, you know, they're at this um, dead end, um, and what I liked, what I liked about kind of like researching this is that the Hebrews approach to this is in, is in such greater detail than the Egyptian approach. Absolutely. Um, and you can even tell, you know, from how Blake a couple of weeks ago had, had, uh, talked about the Apure papyrus versus the mm-hmm. actual uh, writings in Exodus about mm-hmm. the plagues of Egypt, yes. you know, um, but so, you know, the Hebrew approach to this is Wadi Watir to Nuweba Beach. So there's um, two different accounts that you could take to this. The first one is Pharaoh's. Um, Pharaoh says in, in Exodus, I don't have that scripture in front of me. It says they were wandering the land. They are wandering the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And so we're, we're at this dead end spot. The other one is Josephus. Um, Which I love Josephus, oh, yeah. by the way. Yeah. He is a Jewish historian. And man, the, the the way he writes about the Jewish history and things mm-hmm. like that is absolutely fascinating. Right. And... Uh, which is that, that's for another day, but you know, he, he even talks about it in his book in chapter two. He says, Now the Egyptians had overtaken the Hebrews, right? And they also seized on their passages by which they imagined the Hebrews might fly, uh, shutting them up between inaccessible uh, precipices. precipices and the sea. And there on each side of a ridge was mountains that terminated at the sea, 
which are impassable by, by reason of their roughness and obstructed by their flight. Right. And so obviously they're co- at a completely impasse. They, they got to have a miracle right at this point. They, there's no other way. The mountains are on each side mm-hmm. and the army is, is right there. They've cut them off. Right. right? And so, uh, you know, obviously we can't, can't count on everything he writes is perfectly accurate, but it matches Pharaoh's pretty well, right? Right, right. Uh, and so, tell us what else. So, um, I mentioned earlier uh, Nueva Beach. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Nueva Beach, it's there kind of like in the middle of um, the Gulf of Aqaba. It's, it sticks out like a sore thumb. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's you can't miss it. It's about eight miles round. Um, and enough for the Israelites to camp out at it. Um, and so, you know, not saying that it is, kind of saying that it is. Um, the accounts, as far as like patterns of evidence, pretty mm-hmm. much think that this is the place. Yeah. 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 I, I'm, I'm right there with you as far as like where they cross at mm-hmm. because the, the, the Gulf uh, of Aqaba, it, it talks about how in patterns of evidence it talks about how there's a, a basically a, a slope that goes down into uh the the red sea uh, on one side and then there's another slope that that goes up to the red sea on a completely other and so I, I thought this is kind of fascinating that the the patterns of evidence talks about this and um and so, obviously, if there's a slope, then it, then it has to get deep at some point. And so, you know, they in the middle of the Gulf of uh, Aqaba, it, it says it gets it gets up to about 850 meters deep. Yeah, that's right. And so, uh, so if it's 850 meters deep, then that, you know exactly, you know, what are we looking at? Half a mile, yeah, basically? A more, yeah, a little more than half a mile. And so, uh, uh, it, to me, you know, like we talked about in the last, last podcast, it, it couldn't have been the Reed Sea because I just don't believe the Reed Sea was deep enough to drown an entire right. army, Right. you know? I mean, is it possible to drown in a small amount of water? Oh, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, you, can, you can drown in an inch of right. water. But you're not going to annihilate an entire army Right, and just a couple of inches of water, or even a couple of feet of water, mm-hmm. uh, like the Reed Sea would have right. possibly been. Right, right, and so it has to be deeper than that, which is once again we go back to it has to be the Red Sea, and so yeah, that's right. And so um, you know, just kind of we like to use the patterns of evidence because they they were the ones who pretty much said, okay, so Avaris is here. Right. They found, you know, the spot where they, where the Semitic people were staying at. Um, but I kind of want to give you a couple, um, reasons why I kind of agree with, um, with them about where the location, that the location of the crossing is, is the, uh, is associated with the Gulf of Aqaba. Um, the first one, it's going to be Exodus 23 and 31. It talks about, um, it says, I will establish your borders from the Red Sea to the Mediterranean Sea, from the desert to the Euphrates River, I will give into your hands the people who live in this land, and you will drive them out before you. So, you know, it's talking about the Red Sea there. The second one is First uh, Kings 9 and 26, and it talks about how King Solomon had made a, a navy ships um, in, I'm not even going to try to pronounce it, 
Zongaber, I see this is why I don't try, which is beside Eloth on the shore of the Red Sea in the land of Edom. Edom is, you know, now where Saudi Arabia is at. And then um, other one would be Exodus 15 and 4. It says Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. Do you want to talk about why I brought that verse up? Yes, I do. Why did you bring it up? I kind of figured you wanted to talk about because you, the way that you had mentioned to me before the podcast, you, you really do think that the chariots, that, that, that it's the, the Gulf of Aqaba from a chariot Egyptian standpoint. And why is that? Yes. So there are a, a couple reasons why. All right. And so the, the chariots, right? So the, the patterns of evidence people, okay, they, they go down and you can see some of this on video. They go down into the Red Sea and what they find there is obviously they don't actually find whole chariots or anything like that, which actually backs up the biblical story of how it says that their chariots the walls were caved in. Yeah. The walls caved in. It says they dashed their chariots, right? And they were basically dismantled, right? So you don't find entire chariots in and to some degree, you actually don't find chariots at all. What you do find, though, is coral crustaceans, right? Mm-hmm. And so the and so at the people who wrote the book uh, uh, on the evidence, um, they actually talk about how these these corals are unique to this area in the Gulf, right? And and they as they dive down, they actually look for certain structures uh, that would kind of look like so to speak an axle with a wheel on it yeah right that's so wild it is it's very wild now this is obviously uh kind of been disputed some um personally i actually believe this um because i think it was god's way of preserving what has actually happened so that we could look back and and see the real evidence um but and like I said, you can see this on video. Uh, it's all over YouTube. I think even uh, 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 people by the name of uh, the, the John 1010 Project, it, it kind of dives into uh, some of this book. And, and it's really fascinating what, what they find and what they see. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and like I said, they, they talk about like the, the coral and how it's actually unique to that area and the coral uh, just not even that far away grows in huge uh, clusters uh, whereas the coral in this area does not uh, grow like that it it literally has a very unique structure to it and uh, so personally I think that was just God's way of confirming you know hey this is real evidence uh, of what we actually have you know and and so I, I always found that fascinating, you know, and then of course there's, um, another guy out there that I believe it was the early nineties produced said that he had found evidence, um, for the, the sea. And he talked about how he had even found like, like a sword from an Egyptian, uh, officer and mm-hmm. things like that. Now that is very highly is. disputed, uh-huh. right? Uh, and part of that is because he refused to release his evidence to um, people to actually verify, verify yeah. right? And so, 
That one's kind of up for debate, but as far as the the coral structures and things like that being very unique to the area and pretty much looking like a circle with spokes uh, and things like that, and just their measurements and how they actually would line up to Egyptian uh, standard standard yeah. at that time is very very compelling evidence that this is the place right. in the Gulf uh, where they actually crossed into through the Red Sea. Right. And I one thing you know, kind of finishing up my notes for this, one thing that I kind of found found it that was interesting is the length from um, this beach to the side of where Saudi Arabia is now, it's like 9.6 miles long. Yes. You know, that just to kind of think, you know, you got two, three plus million people crossing, you know, this certain spot in the sea that's five and that's half a mile deep chariots chasing them from that have, you know, traveled all through the Sinai Peninsula from Egypt to get these people. 9.6 miles long, mm -hmm. half a mile deep at best. Right. You know, and then, you know, just have these coral reefs built up, you know, around the spokes of a, of a chariot. Yeah, absolutely. And so as, you know, the... Israelites are there ready to cross the Red Sea. We obviously have the miracle that, that begins to take place, right. you know? And so the, it's obviously a miracle because it says that, you know, Moses, you know, uh, basically part of the Red Sea, but obviously God did it himself. Um, and it, it's definitely a divine miracle, you know, it, and the, the passage even says that a mighty east wind blew all night, splitting the waters and leaving a passage of dry land with walls of water on, on both sides. And so therefore the Israelites were able to flee to the other shore. But when the Egyptian uh, Pharaoh army attempted to pursue them in the morning, the waters rushed back and drowned them. And so there's really actually some science behind this about why they think this is actually even possible. Uh, and so there's actually a natural process that actually happens right? Uh, the study is based on a reconstruction of the likely locations and depths of the Nile Delta waterways, which have shifted uh, considerably over time. The simulations match closely with the account in Exodus. Um, and it says the parting of the waters can be understood through fluid dynamics. The wind moves through the water in a way that, uh, that's in accordance with physical laws, creating a safe passage with water on both sides and abruptly allowing the water to rush back in. The study is actually a, a larger research project by uh, Dr. Drews in the impacts of winds on water depths, uh, including the extent to which the Pacific Ocean of typhoons can drive storm surges. Uh, by pinpointing a possible site south of the Mediterranean Sea for the crossing, the study could also benefit the archaeologists seeking to research the account, of course. And so uh, there, it is actually possible, right, through science, they have actually discovered how winds have, can literally part the sea and creating walls on each side, right? Now, obviously, this had to be an incredibly strong wind uh, because it says that, you know, as we talked about the Red Sea could up, be up to half half a mile 
deep. And so this had to be an incredibly strong win for it to happen. So obviously it's nothing but divine that's actually happening here. But there is some real science behind actually what they think might have actually happened there. Uh, much like in the 10 plagues, there's a lot of science about how they think that these things might actually right. happen. Right. And so we, uh, it's, like I said, it's still one of the most fascinating stories in the Bible about how the Red Sea parts and, and the, the crushing of Pharaoh's army. And, you know, like we just talked about the, the coral reefs there and how they're unique to, to that area. And uh, it is absolutely incredible and fascinating. Everything that they've really discovered about uh, the Israelites fleeing and, and just going through the Red Sea. I mean, I, I love it. Like I said, it's one of the greatest stories in, in in my mind, uh, that actually happened within the Bible. And so, um, DJ, you got anything else to add to this, man? I, I think it was definitely a divine miracle that, uh, the whole process happened, you know, from the very beginning of the Israelites escaping Egypt, just all in all, because Egypt was a major, um, entity within the world just a major That's right. player in the world. And so, um, you know, I definitely think it was a miracle just to even get that far. Um, but Pharaoh had his warning. God doesn't play. He means business. And, um, you know, you know, just getting to at the point of the crossing of the Red Sea, you know, you were talking about the winds, you know, holding mm -hmm. back the, the waters enough for them to cross. You know, God is the, the author of, wind and you know the color and how grass is he he is the one who made all this and you know for him to step in and be like hey you know these are my chosen people you're not getting out of here you That's know right. you're getting out of here so safe not even not even the enemies can touch a hair on your head yeah you know how you want to start talking about scripture at that point but um, no, I think it was, I think it was miraculous for sure, you know, yeah. and I, and I do think that the hand of God was the one who, I, I kind of think of it, he's, he's kind of like swept in and put his hands in and just like parted the waters. Yeah. You know, it, it makes me think of another time when water, uh, was parted, you know, when, when, uh, Elijah and Elisha smoked the water with the mantle and it says the water's parted, you know, uh, that, that's kind of what it makes me think of. And so not only do we have one one um one historical um event happening about the parting of waters but we have multiple partings of water within the bible and so uh, i i think that's fascinating mm -hmm. i think it's incredible that that not only do we have this one in particular story in the bible but we have multiple others where they parted the waters and so uh guys as always we want to thank you for listening uh we hope you enjoyed this podcast we hope you enjoyed the the series kind of here all over egypt I'm, i think it's been really fascinating for me and dj right and uh um, I, I know one thing and I, I don't mean to cut you off but yeah. i would really like to see um I mean, Easter is coming up. Yeah. You know, I'd like to see something on maybe the Passover. Yeah, absolutely. Talk about the Passover and the crucifixion. I mean, it's, you know, Dr. Knight definitely goes into that pretty uh, in-depth, mm -hmm. uh, just, you know, a couple times in the church services, you know. Oh, yeah. But uh, I would like to see something on the Passover. Maybe, you know, pass it along to Dr. Knight. Yeah, maybe we might see something on the Passover. You never know, DJ. Maybe you might be in on that one, right? We don't know yet. <laughs> <laughs> and so, hey, as always, thanks for listening. Don't forget to like, share, subscribe. And as always, keep it lethal.
Thanks for listening to the Lethal Faith Podcast, brought to you by the Never Before Project. To find out more about the Never Before Project or be a part of the discussion, visit our website at neverbefore.tv. You can also visit us on Facebook at the Never Before Project. Join us next week for another episode of Lethal Faith.